Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. We are in a series of messages we actually just started last week, uh, morning and evening, on knowing your enemy. Now, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Least Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, if you do not know your enemy, you don't know his devices, the way that he comes and attacks. What an attack of the enemy even looks like. Some people have no idea. He will take advantage of you. Right? And by the way, when the devil shows up, he does not show up in a red outfit, you know, with the pitchfork and say, I'm the devil. The Bible says he shows up as an angel of light. He's going to try to convince you that what he is bringing is not from the devil. It's from God himself. He's going to show up as an angel of light. First Peter five and verse eight says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil. So the devil is, is our culture doesn't even really believe there is a devil, right? And if there is, they kind of like, well, the devil is the sum of all evil in the universe. But the Bible teaches that the devil is a spiritual being, a personality, a malevolent, wicked, renegade, evil, fallen angel. He was created as a cherub angel. And he rebelled, he chose to rebel against God. He chose iniquity. And he is your adversary. In other words, th- this is not something that, that you can ignore. Right? He is personally after your soul, after your family, after your health, after your finances. Right? And you say, why do you say those things? Well, if you look In the book of Job, it's a a part of your Bible, by the way. Some of you never read the book of Job because you thought it was the book of Job and you just didn't want to look at that. But uh, the devil attacks Job. The first thing he did was attacked him physically. He attacked his family and he attacked his health. That's a pretty good picture of what's going to happen when the devil shows up. We are not ignorant of his devices. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, The same thing he did to Job, he'll do to you if you let him, right? Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. A lot of people think the devil's in hell. He's not in hell, right? He's going eventually, but he's not there yet. He's going around like a roaring lion. He's been up and down your street, and he's seeking whom he may devour. I want you to listen. The devil devours ignorant people. If you do not understand how he operates, he will devour. He will have you for lunch. The devil devours, listen, people that cooperate with him. And the devil devours passive people. Second Timothy chapter two, last verse says, having been taken captive by him, Satan, to do his will. You see, if you are passive and you do not resist the devil, he will take you captive. And you won't even be doing your will. You'll be doing his will. 
So passive people, ignorant people, and people who cooperate. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger, nor give place to the devil. In other words, if you have unforgiveness, hatred, bitterness in your heart, right, you open the door for the enemy to come in. You give him place. You give him opportunity. One translation says you give him a foothold. See, if you let the devil put his foot in the door into your life, into your family, he is going to knock that door wide open. You give him an inch, he'll try to take a mile. He just keeps coming, keeps coming. So the devil is not the sum of all evil. He is your personal enemy. He is a fallen spirit being. Uh, In John chapter 10, Jesus makes this statement. He said, the thief, it's the devil. He comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So he wants to kill, steal, and destroy your family, your kids, your marriage, your soul, your body, your finances, your health. He's after you to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now listen, this verse Really, we can call it the great divide. It shows what God does and what the devil does. If it kills, steals, and destroys, it did not come from God. In fact, James chapter 1 says it this way. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Now, guys, this is James 1.16. I just threw this in a moment ago. Right? So where the Bible tells us not to be deceived is where the most deceived. I think it's very interesting. Right? The Bible says, don't be deceived. Why? Because we are. Right? Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of light in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, God does not have blue Mondays. God is not schizophrenic. He's not going to bless you on one hand and break your leg on the other. If it's good, if it's perfect, it comes down from God. If it's not, it doesn't. There is no variation, none whatsoever. So if it kills, steals, and destroys, it comes from the devil. If it's good, it comes from God. Just this simple. Good God, bad devil. Good God, bad devil. And if you really understand that, you know more than 90% of theologians. Because you've got to have all kinds of letters after your name. All right. To mess this up. All right. Somebody said that Ph.D. and I should say this because I've got one. It means post hole digger. <laughs> because theologically, it seems like you, you, you have to go to school a long time to get messed up because the Bible is pretty clear. In fact, the Bible is very clear on this subject. All right. So for Thessalonians two, verse 18, Paul is writing. He says, therefore, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. He said, we wanted to come. We wanted to bless you. We wanted to strengthen your faith. We wanted to come and encourage you. He said, but who hindered us? Satan hindered us. Remember, this is Paul. He wrote about 40% of the books in the New Testament, in your, your Bible that you read every day. All right. Uh, He saw Jesus personally and was taught the gospel by revelation. Jesus taught him the gospel. 
the Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he went to heaven and came back. And he said, I had some problems with the devil. The devil hindered us. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not fight against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. Now it's talking about evil, malevolent beings, spirit beings, fallen angels, demons, Satan, persons without bodies. That's our real enemy. It goes on to kind of explain the, the four classes of demonic spirits. The evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings, the great evil princes of darkness who rule this world. Who rules this world? The great evil princes of darkness. The Bible tells us, 1 John 5, verse 19, it says, we know positively that we're of God. How many of you are Christians? You know you're of God. This is what it says. And the whole world around us is under the control of the wicked one. Who's controlling this? Now, Now, by the way, when it says the world, it's not talking about our planet. It's talking about the world system. For example, in Romans 12, it says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like culture, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, or other translations say, by changing the way you think. And by the way, the reason you have a Bible is to change the way you think, right? You look at what culture says, you look what the Bible says, you throw culture out and you stick with the Bible. You say, why? Because the Bible's right. Psalms 119, verse 128, David said, I consider your precepts, your word, concerning all things to be right. Right? You and I need to be in the same place. The Bible is right. It's right when it talks about LBGTQ+. It's right when it talks about marriage. It's right when it talks about forgiving people. It's right when it talks about how to raise your kids. It's right when it talks about money. God is right. All right? His ways are not your ways. His ways are higher than your ways and my ways as the heavens are higher than the earth. But the deal is people say, oh, I just don't know God's ways. That's what the Bible's for, to show us God's way. When we read the Bible, we're not reading the words of man. We are reading the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed, right? It's God-breathed. So, Paul said, Satan hindered us. We're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies, the evil rulers of the unseen world, the mighty satanic beings and evil princes of darkness who rule this world in a huge number of wicked spirits in the spirit world. So we have an enemy. It is you. You cannot see that enemy. You cannot fight that enemy physically. Right. But the weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we have spiritual weapons. Now, I want to take a minute and go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to talk to you about Paul's thorn. Because uh, so many people think they have this thorn. And, And I want to talk to you about the thorn for a moment. Right. Second Corinthians 12, verse seven, least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, 
a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, here's what the thorn in the flesh was. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. Least I should be exalted in measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Now he's going to explain infirmities. Because in, in our culture, when you say an infirmity, somebody thinks you physically you're sick. But that was not true when this was written. All right. When it was translated. So he's going to explain what the infirmities are. I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. Now, a lot of Christians do not recognize this, but as a Christian, you are supposed to suffer for righteousness sake, for the gospel's sake, for his name's sake, for the kingdom's sake. In fact, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are you, all right, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you and great is your reward in heaven. The Bible says, if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. So first Peter chapter two, um, this is what it says. It, it says, if you suffer for doing what's right, right? It's pleasing to God. And then this is what it says to this. You were called. So you and I, as a believer, you're, you're called to suffer for Christ's sake, for righteousness sake, for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom's sake, for doing what's right. Right? Not for doing what's wrong, but for doing what's right. And it says, this is pleasing to God. And, and then it says, Jesus gave us an example. How many of you know he didn't do wrong, but he suffered? Right? And as a Christian, we're called to suffer for righteousness sake. All right. So Paul has a thorn, but he has it. And the Bible says, because of the abundance of his revelation, this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan is given to him. Right? Now, uh, Jeannie and I, most of you know this, we lived in Mexico for several years. We've, we spent a few of those years living with the Otomi Indians. And uh, I, I would travel up into the mountains, uh, great distances sometimes. I mean, I think great distances. We, we, we'd walk or t- ride a mule six hours, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 15 hours, up to 20 hours to get back to a place. There's no, I mean, there's no electricity. There's no running water. There's nothing. I remember this one village we're going back to. We, we got lost. Our guide got lost, right? And uh, we end up, we're under a canopy, right? And they are growing marijuana everywhere, right? And it's probably the size of this auditorium, right? And uh, we realize uh, we're lost, right? And just like that, boom, boom. There's two guys with machine guns, right? And they're like, what are you doing here, right? And, And we said, we're lost, and we're trying to convince them, all right, that, that we aren't, are not some sort of government. Here I am, a foreigner, all right? I'm 25 years old. I don't have a clue what's going on. I know, like, I better be speaking in tongues right now because this is not good, all right? Well, in the end, they, they talk and they, they let us go. We, we finally get up to this village way, way back, all right? I remember we get there. I sat down, and the first thing they did was bring me a Coke. And I'm thinking... 
how did that coat get here? Did it ride a mule for 20 hours? What did it do? And then they take us to a hut where we're going to spend the night, right? And there is a singer sewing machine. Wouldn't it you use your foot? And I thought, Coke and singer beat the gospel. Now, that is not right. All right. So I remember we're, we're in one of these villages, and they're taking us from hut to hut to pray for people. Right? And we're going to pray for this man, and we said, we're going to pray God heal you. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, I have Paul's thorn. And I thought, how did it get here? Did it ride a mule? Did it cross the river? How in the world did Paul's thorn get here? Right? And he says, yeah, I've got this. God's just punishing me and God's testing my faith. And, 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 uh, and, and uh, I had to talk to him. And I says, uh, the thorn comes for the abundance of revelation. How much do you have? Uh, if I remember right, he couldn't read. It wasn't like he had a lot of revelation, but he had thought he had Paul's thorn. Okay. So he says that the thorn is, listen, a messenger of Satan. The word messenger is the Greek word anhelos, right? Used 188 times in the New Testament. 181 times it's translated angel, all right? The other seven times it's translated as messenger, right? So really what we've got here is we have an angel of Satan. How many know what we call them? Demons. And it's a devil, all right? And what is its purpose? To buffet me, all right? Now, in the 27th chapter of Acts, you find Paul, he's on a ship, and it runs aground into a sandbar. And there is a, a hurricane, and it's beating against that ship. Boom. Boom. It's the same word, buffet. It means to hit again and again and again and again and again. And again, you say, well, what was that thorn? It was sent to keep him from being effective in the gospel, right? He barely gets saved. And in chapter nine of the book of Acts, right? They're, they're trying to kill him. And he has to get, be taken, put in a basket. And they take him on top of the wall and they let him down so that he escapes, right? They're trying to kill him. Again, he's hindered from joining the Christians in the ninth chapter. In the 13th chapter, He's literally, you can just look at it. He's opposed by Satan himself. And then you find that he's opposed by the Jews. In the 13th chapter, he's expelled from Antioch. Then he is mobbed and expelled from Iconium. Then he's stoned and left for dead. Then he has problems with false brethren. 16th chapter, he's beaten with rods and thrown in jail. Then he's mobbed and expelled in Berea. Then he's mobbed at Corinth. Then he's mobbed in Ephesus. Then he's beaten by the Jews and arrested in the 21st chapter. And then in the 23rd chapter, I read this this morning, 40 men take a vow that they will not eat or drink anything until they've killed him. Now, I've had people mad at me. But not taking a vow they'll never eat or drink again until they kill you. All right. Then he's in prison. And he's left there for political reasons and spends a couple years in prison. Then he's in a hurricane, shipwreck, snake bit. You say, what did that angel do? It just hit him again and again and again. It was a hindrance to the gospel. 
I do love the way the book of Acts ends. It says, preaching the kingdom of God. This is Paul. Teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. That was the first time in his whole ministry because he was constantly being buffeted by the devil. Right? So, so what Paul calls infirmities are reproaches. It's persecution. It's our opposition that we, we, we have for righteousness sake. The persecutions, the distress for Christ's sake. And as a believer, we are called to suffer, but to suffer for the kingdom's sake, for righteousness sake, for the gospel's sake, for his name's sake. We're called to trouble. And those are the infirmities that Paul talks about. And when it talks about his thorn, that is what it's talking about. Now, the devil does not, as many people believe, know everything that's happening, right? Absolutely does not. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, which none of the rulers of this age knew. Now, this is God's plan for redemption. And the rulers of this age are not the Romans or the Jews, but the principalities and powers, Satan and demons. For had they known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Now, in the spiritual realm, uh, I don't know what you what you felt, and I know this is very subjective, but when we're worshiping God this morning, man, I just felt his presence in this place, right? Worship is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing, right? In fact, it is what the devil is looking for, is worship. In the beginning, he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will be like the most high, Isaiah 14. He's trying to be like God. He wants to be worshiped. In Luke, the fourth chapter, the Bible says that Jesus is being tempted by the devil. Right? So the devil takes him and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, all the authority I will give you and their glory. He said, all the authority of all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of all the kingdoms of the world, I will give it to you. How many of you know you can't give what you don't have? And if the devil's lying, there's no temptation. He's not lying. He says, all this authority I will give you in their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomsoever I wish. Now, you remember in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. And the first thing he said is, let them have dominion. Let them have dominion, right? In Psalms 115, I believe it's the 16th verse. It says, the heavens of the heavens, they're the Lord's. But the earth, he's given to the children of men, right? So literally what happened is Satan comes, he deceives Adam and Eve, and he takes their authority. He takes their dominion. The devil said, it's been given to me, and it's transferable, he says, I can give it to whoever I wish. He said, therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. What is the devil after? Worship, worship. First Corinthians 10, verse 20. Whether the things which the Gentiles sacrificed, they sacrificed to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Now, the, 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 the Gentiles he's talking about, they don't have a picture of a demon. 
Right? They may be worshiping some sort of a carved image. It might be a stone. It might be a tree. But they're worshiping something, and they're sacrificing to it. Now, listen. You might think, oh, they're just ignorant people. No, they're intelligent people. They would not worship that thing and sacrifice to that thing for 50 years if nothing was happening. Something is happening, right? And they're sacrificing to demons. So what happens is this. You worship an image, and a demon will come and get behind that image and receive that worship. And that demon will begin to manifest in your life. That demon will begin to do things in your life. So the, so the apostle says what they sacrifice, they don't sacrifice to that image. They're sacrificing to demons. They don't know it, but that's what they're doing. He said, and not to God. Somebody says, oh, they're just a different way to God. No, it says, and not to God, right? And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. When the Antichrist comes, all the world will, will marvel, the Bible says, and follow the beast. And they will worship the dragon. The dragon is the devil who gave authority to the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. Right? So what are they doing? They worship the devil who gave authority to the beast. They worship the beast. But really, they're worshiping the power behind the beast. That's the dragon. That is the devil. That's what he is after. Ultimately, the devil is after worship. Right? Now, anytime that you or I let anything become more important to us than God, that thing becomes an idol. That thing becomes an idol, right? So the devil is not all powerful at all. He doesn't know everything. In fact, when the devil came to Adam and Eve, why don't you think about this? He did not come as a mammoth and say, eat of the tree or I will squash you. He didn't come as a lion and roar and say, eat of the tree, or I will attack you. Or as a powerful gorilla, and say, eat of the tree, or I will pound you. He didn't come like that. You know how he came? He came stealthily. He came with trickery. He came to deceive, because he did not have the authority to make Adam and Eve do anything. He had to deceive them and get them to do something willfully, right? So God makes man. First thing he says, let him have dominion. And in a real sense, what happened is God made man his under ruler, right? Man was to watch over the earth. In fact, Genesis 2.15, and the Lord God made the man, put him in the garden to tend, to guard, and to keep it. What was man to do? Tend, guard, and keep the garden. Who's he guarding it from? Who's he keeping it from? Satan. That's who. So Satan comes with trickery, right? Stealthily. He's got to deceive Adam and Eve. He's got to get them. Listen, here, is, here, here they are in this beautiful, beautiful garden, all right? Um, there's no in-laws. There's no sickness. There's no depression, right? There's no financial needs. I mean, they, listen, Eve is a 10. Adam is a 10, all right? And, and the devil has got to convince them 
that God is holding out on them, and there is something better. He says, you know, you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. They're already like God. They're already like God. They're going to eat of the tree, but after they eat of the tree, they're going to be less like God than they were before they ate of the tree. But he comes with a lie. He comes with a half-truth. And he says, God's holding out on you. He doesn't have the authority, the power to make them do something. He has to deceive them. And let me just say this. The devil does not have the power or the authority to make you do something. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus comes to the area of the Decapolis, or sometimes called the area of the Gadarenes. And there is a man who the Bible says has a legion of demons. That's at least 6,000. Right? And when that man sees Jesus, he ran, he fell at Jesus' feet, and he worshiped him. Now, Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. But the devil didn't make you do it. You did it because you chose to do it. He deceived you, and you made a choice. But here's a man with 6,000 demons. Every demon was saying, run the other way. But somehow that man knew, if I can get to Jesus... There is help for me. There's help. And he ran and fell at Jesus' feet, and he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus set that man free. So so the, the devil comes, but he comes stealthily. He comes lying. He comes with trickery. Jesus said when the devil lies, he speaks his foreign, he speaks his, his native language because he's a liar and the father of lies. Right? That's John. 844. So he takes advantage of us, but the way that he does it is through our ignorance, right? Now, one of the main ways that he does this, in fact, Ephesians 6, 16 says, above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, right? So when Satan's lies are called fiery darts, His attacks are called fiery darts. And it says, you take the sword of the spirit. And that's how you quench those things, right? Now, in James, third chapter, it talks about the power of your tongue. It says, being ignited by hell. King James says, it is set on fire by hell. In other words, we say it this way. A lot of the fiery darts that come against your life come out of your mouth. It's things that you say. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 6 that you're snared by the words of your mouth. You say things, oh, COVID's coming back. I'll be the first one to get it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, all, the, all my relatives, they had heart problems in their 50s. I'll probably have heart problems in my 50s. Snared by the words of your mouth. Job 3 Verse 25, this is what Job said. He said, the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. One translation said, I feared a great fear. Listen, what you have in your heart in abundance, where does it go? It comes out of your, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I feared a great fear and it has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened to me. Job feared 
Although he was very wealthy, his fear was he was going to lose it all. And let me just say this. Fear is like faith in reverse. It's faith that the enemy is going to be able to do something in your life. That fear opened the door. He said, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. That's what he's saying. He's saying trouble's coming. Trouble's coming. And it did. But I believe one of the ways that Satan came into Job's life was by using the fear that he had, that he would lose everything. See, uh, Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat its fruit. So we need to recognize that what Satan wants to do is he wants to use the words of our mouth as fiery darts. The Bible says your tongue is set on fire by hell. James chapter 3 says, a bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. How many of you have seen that little little bit? Six, six, seven, eight ounces, maybe? And, and you get a thousand pound horse. But that bit determines where that horse is going to go. Right? Then he goes on and says, a small rudder on a huge ship in the hand of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest wind. So, so, you, so a ship goes into a storm. It's saying the storm does not determine where the ship goes. The rudder determines where the ship goes, right? And your tongue is your rudder. So it's not the storm that determines where your life goes. It's your rudder that determines it. It's your tongue that determines where your life goes, right? In the face of the strongest winds, a word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. A word out of your mouth. People don't think that their words have any power. They make any difference. But Jesus said, by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. Then it goes on. It says, it takes only a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless word or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By your speech, you can ruin the world. You can turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, shut the whole world up in smoke and go up and smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. And again, other translation that your tongue is set on fire by hell. The devil wants to use your words against you. So Romans 10 verse eight says, but what does it and the it there is faith, right? What does faith say? It says the word is near you. You you look in the Old Testament. This is actually a quote. And it's saying it's not on the other side of the mountain. And it's not on the other side of the sea. People today, I've heard them say different. I've heard one person say this. They said, "If, if I could just go to Fenton, Missouri and see Joyce Myers, then, then I would get it. I'd have it. And we think it's far away. You think maybe Joyce Myers has it or or some other individual. If they were to pray for you, if they were to lay hands on you, if they were to speak to you, something would happen. All right. But it's not on the other side of the mountain and it's not on the other side of the sea. But what does faith say? The word is near you. It's nearer than you think. 
and says, it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Even the word of faith, which we pray, just what he just said. He said, there is salvation in your mouth and in your heart. There's peace in your mouth and in your heart. There's healing. There's deliverance in your mouth and in your heart. He's really saying there's a miracle in your mouth, right? But it's got to be in your mouth and in your heart. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So in Philemon chapter six, it says this, that the communication of your faith may become effectual. Literally, it's like saying your faith can become supercharged, right? And this is how it happens. By the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Now, listen, the world's going to tell you who you are, but the world doesn't really know who you are. Because if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Right? And the only way you're going to know who you are is from the word of God. The only way you're going to know what belongs to you because you're redeemed is from the word of God. And the only way you're going to know what you can do is from the word of God. So what it's saying is we need to acknowledge who we are in Christ. Right? Example, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, says that he that knew no sin, that's Jesus, he became sin for us. So here's what happened. At the cross, Jesus took your sin and he put it into Jesus. And he took Jesus' righteousness and put it on you. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. See, in Christ, you're righteous. You're not going to be righteous. You are righteous right now. In fact, if you were to die right now, God forbid, you get hit by the beer truck. Okay. To be absent from the body is to be. See, it, right now with the righteousness that you have because of what Jesus did, you will go and live in God's presence forever and ever and ever and ever. You don't go someplace and suffer for a thousand years, right? And get purified. Right now, you've been made righteous, right? Now, the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, a righteous woman avails much. You know what? The devil will tell you, you don't qualify, but you know what? God qualified you. You are righteous. You are righteous, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. Right? You need to acknowledge who you are in Christ, what belongs to you in Christ, what you can do in Christ. Jesus said this, Mark 16, he said, these signs will follow them that believe in my name. Right? This, this, these signs follow believers, not pastors, not evangelists, believers. How many are believers? The list begins with, they will cast out demons and it ends with, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Who's that talking about? You. That's talking about you. You're a believer, right? The authority is in the name, right? You believe in that name. Let me just close with this. 
Uh, my, my Ford pickup's right out back here, all right? Now, I could give anybody the keys, right? You say, it's my tr- it's, it's, it is my truck, but if you've got the keys, how many of you know you can get in and go wherever you want to go, all right? It doesn't matter who has the keys. Jesus' name is the key. It's the key. In my name, they will. It's the key. And as a believer, that belongs to every single one of us. Whether you've walked with Jesus five minutes or 55 years, that name belongs to you. We've got to know who we are. We've got to confess who we are. And the Bible says that that will literally cause your faith to become effectual, to produce results, to be supercharged. All right. That belongs to every single believer. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? In a group of this size, of course, there's people in just about every spiritual condition. You've lived for God for decades. There's others that you're away from the Lord. At one time you lived for God, but you've drifted away. Other people, you don't know where you stand with God. In fact, I've talked to people and said, are you a Christian? This is what they'll say. They'll say, I hope so. I'll find out when I die if I made it to heaven. The Bible says we have written these things to you that you may know, not hope, not find out when you die, that you may know that you have everlasting life. See, if you don't know that you're right with God, that you're forgiven, that you're on your way to heaven, you're not where you should be with God. So here's what we're going to do in just a moment. We're going to pray a prayer together. Now, the Bible says that whosoever, that's you, will call on the name of the Lord. That's what we're going to do the way the Bible shows us to. And this is God's promise. We'll be saved. Now, what, what the Bible is going to, well, literally tells us to do is not just to believe in God, not just to believe that Jesus came, but to receive him, right? John chapter one, verse 12, to as many as receive him, to them, he gives the right to be the children of God. You see, you receive him by believing that he died for you, that his blood paid for your sins, and then you receive him as your Lord, as your King. What that means is this. You say, I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I'm going to receive Jesus. He's going to be the king of my life. And I am going to live for him. I'm going to become like him. I am going to do his will for my life. And the Bible calls that repentance, right? And the first thing that the Bible talks about, our fundamentals in Christ, is repentance and then it's faith towards God. And we're going to express our faith and we're going to express our repentance. And if you will do this from your heart, when we say amen in a moment, you're going to be right with God. So I'm going to ask everybody, take one hand, place it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. And we're going to pray this prayer out loud together. And would you please make these words your own? Just say this, say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm living for Jesus. 
And I thank you that you've heard my prayer. That my past, it's gone. That I'm now a part of your kingdom. Today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.